There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody. It's your boy, Josh Webb here, a.k.a. Fight on Twist, with my man, Joe McAtee, a.k.a. 3K. Buddy, how you doing, man? How you doing now that the Rams have beaten the Seahawks, which we talked about in a podcast that nobody will ever hear. <laughs> I, I do like the idea of like the the lost tapes, like the uh, you know, like a like a secret Prince recordings or Jimi Hendrix or mm. Beatles tapes that years from now somebody will find some data file. You know, when Yahoo gets hacked again for the upteenth time, that deep in the Josh Webb files, there's secret podcasts to unearth. I'd actually be willing to bet that if somebody got up in there and went deep enough into my files that they could find a whole bunch of lost podcasts because I can't count the number of podcasts I've recorded and lost through no fault of my own. Like, the program's like, would you like to rename it and move it? Yes, I would. Oh, well, we can't find it now. It's gone. (laughs) <laughs> well, why'd you ask me to rename it and move it then? <laughs> That's what happened with our last one. But nonetheless, uh, our podcasting efficiency, and for those wondering, Joe is a man who contributes around his house, so that sound you hear is him doing dishes because that's what real men do. They do dishes. I'm making a drink. I'm making a drink, Josh. <laughs> Let's not lie. Let's not lie. That is the sound of ice. Uh, next comes the sound of bourbon, and then it's time to podcast. Ah, all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, look, <laughs> dude, I was trying to do something all cool because I did the dishes today, so that's really what it was. Uh, but uh, what I was going to say is that our podcast was almost as efficient as the Rams' offense against Seattle. Uh, but uh, let me get your thoughts on that Rams game 
wrap up a few things here before we start looking ahead. Uh, so recap very quick for me how somebody sits through a six to nine game or a nine to three game that isn't played by Alabama and LSU. Yeah, uh, let me tell you this. If you're going to be a Rams fan, you better get used to it. Um, it starts with defense, uh, then it follows with defense, and then it ends with defense. And along the way, you get to find out what offenses can't do, whether that's the Rams offense or the Seahawks offense or the 2015 Steelers offense or the 2015 Vikings offense or the 2015 uh, Ravens offense. Look, there's going to be a lot of games like this. This is how the Rams play football um, when, when they're playing it right. Week one, you saw what happens when they're playing it not right. Um, you know, it, it's it's not pretty and it's not fun. It's not entertaining, but uh, this is the design. And so, you know, the question becomes, where where was this in week one? And, and it's hard to come up with an answer for that. I was just uh, I got the questions for the Q and A from Sander Philippe's the. Uh, uh, managing editor over at Bucks Nation, our SB Nation community for fans of Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And his question was, essentially, how do you explain that the same Rams team that lost 28 to nothing in week one to the 49ers beat the Seattle Seahawks 9-3? Why wasn't it the other way around? And I, I, don't, I don't know that there's an it answer. It made the Seahawks look pedestrian in the process. Like, let's not forget yeah. that. Sure. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how you explain that that those games were performed by the same team. I don't know what the answer is. Sorry, stupid mute button. Uh, luckily, I'm doing the editing on this one, eh? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 a conundrum, man. Like it seems odd to me that. The only explanation that I can really offer up, and then I'll finish the thought as to where I was going, like, is is that, do you, you know how when you play poker with a dude that's never played before, and then they start winning and taking your money, and you're like, yeah, this is bullshit. This is 79 <laughs> bullshit. You know how that happens? That's the sure. best I can explain with week one in Chip Kelly. Like... The, yeah. the Niners were a novice poker player, and Jeff Fisher went in there with a game plan. That was his problem. Uh, the Niners were like, we're just going to go out there and try and win this thing. That that was that was Chip Kelly's mindset. Uh, sure. I, I don't even know if that's a halfway decent explanation. I don't know if that's a plausible explanation. I'm just coming, like, that's the only thing I can come up with in my head, I think, is to your point. That's why I was going to say, I don't know how a team that lost as badly as they did to a coach that up until last week, people were like, dude, this guy needs to hurry up and get back and, you know... I mean, I think I saw a tweet today that, like, somebody said, you know... Uh, Chip Kelly standing behind his players is really going to do him a load of good when he's uh, coaching at like what was it like Southwest Alabama like later this year or whatever it is and I'm just like sitting there thinking so that's the expectation people have for Chip Kelly and this Niners team how the hell were the results what they were you know what I'm saying yeah 
Yeah, no doubt. I, I think the other thing is you, you said that, the, you know, the Rams had a game plan and that the Niners didn't. They just kind of went out there and felt the game out. I think that might have been the problem was that the Rams had the wrong game plan. You look at what changed from week one to week two. You the Rams put in Josh Forrest and kind of recalibrated things around how they wanted to drop Mark Barron down. Uh, you know, you had the rotation of Cody Wickman and Jamon Brown on the line that switched something we can get to. You know, they had some things that they were still figuring out. This is something I wrote uh, last year going into the season that the Rams don't really use the proof season to get ready for week one they kind of use the first couple weeks of the season as part of an extended preseason and, and then really you know hope for the middle of the season and late in the season to be uh you know where they get sufficient results to put together a successful record it hasn't happened and obviously last year was the first time they had a decent start out the gate but it, it's kind of, it's kind of the approach under fishable to still get things going under september and, and figure things out as you go along it's why he hasn't started rookies he didn't start aaron donald he didn't start todd Gurley, albeit without injury and now he's not starting a jared goff it, it's just you know part of the approach is that week one isn't necessarily when you need to be a hundred percent under jeff fisher yeah, and I can understand that, um, especially uh, agreeing with your premise that, that, that the Rams tend to use the offseason or the preseason in a much different fashion. To me, the preseason for the Rams seemed to be about, all right, how do we figure out who to cut? That's it. That That's what they figured out in the preseason. Um, I, I'm... I, I still, my thing with Case Keenum here is that he actually had, I guess you could kind of call it productive. Um, you know, he was, hey, look, dude, he, well, we were better numbers. He was better than 50%. He was 18 to 30 for 239 and zero turnovers. That is the definition of game management, I think. It's the system. That, that's that's how the system runs, right? whether it's Case Keenum or Nick Foles or Austin Davis. That's what the system demands of you. Yeah, so he he did his part. Um, obviously, Zerline did his part. Uh, sure. And Robert Quinn sure as hell did his job. Um, you know, I, I just... It, uh, it it certainly wasn't a pleasant game for the Buccaneers uh, in Week 2 either. Uh, yeah. When you look at Jameis Winston, he had a 39.2 passer rating with four ITs. Four interceptions. Lost, yeah, and, yeah, and, lost, and lost a fumble. Yeah. Do, I, I, we'll get to this in a second, but... When you have a defense that is the quality of what the Rams are putting out there, I just kind of feel like the offense needs to do a little bit more. A little bit more. Well, that's that's kind of the the yin and yang of the Rams is, you know, you know that the defense is going to have to carry the day. Does it need to be, a, you know, near perfect the way it was against the Seahawks? And any so th- think about it like this: if if the Rams' defense gives up more than ten points, that should be considered a failure. 
and, and at the same time, anytime the Rams kind of score more than 10 points on offense, that's got to be considered a success. Now, I know that seems wildly unfair that they're being judged on such radically different curves, but that's just the two units that they've got, right? It's part of the reason why last year, every time the Rams scored 20 or more points, they won, and every time they scored less than 20, they lost. It's it's one of those things where the defense is going to make it possible for them. They just got to take advantage. Now, that stat already has changed this year in winning 9-3, to but I think that gives you a sense of what they're built to do. They're, they're, they're built to play uh, low-scoring games and hope that they get enough out of special teams, especially in the field goal game like you saw uh, on Sunday where Greg Zerline can get in a groove and especially with his leg maybe flip field position where the Rams get a stop after a kickoff and then just get a first down and an easy field goal. That's the kind of thing that we haven't really seen yet, that 50-yard field goal that uh, puts teams on their heels to say, look, you can't let the Rams get even that close. That wasn't really a factor in the game on Sunday that I think we're going to see throughout the season. Uh, As it pertains to the Bucs, Look, we're gonna have to see. This is a different team. The Rams haven't really faced an offense like this yet. Um, no, no. Let's uh, let me go it's, over it's some of the numbers contest. here. Let me go over some of the numbers here because I want to talk, speak to your points. Um, and you warned me about this. Uh, I was given ample and grave warning about this prior to uh, being brought on board. But the L A Rams, L A Rams offense. 32nd in the league. L.A. Rams run game. 28th in the league. L.A. Rams pass game. 32nd in the league. Do you want to take a shot at points? Uh, I'll say 33rd. Now, there's only 32 teams. Yep. But... They, they but are, in fact, they, 33. Hey, if Case Keenum is seeing ghosts, I'll put those guys at 32. The, uh... Well, the the San Antonio Ghosts are there at 32, mm-hmm. and we'll put the Rams at 33 because uh, four and a half points a game is um, that's 19th century football, and I'm not even <laughs> sure that existed. That's that's like that real Bud Light, real men of genius. They wore leather helmets. Um, but now, uh, Tampa Bay's defense. Uh, definitely, this is where it gets concerning for me if you're the Rams. Tampa Bay's defense is somewhat mediocre. 27th against the pass, 28th in points allowed, largely due to the 40-7 to hammering that the Cardinals put on them. Uh, they've got the 21st-ranked defense, but they're 8th against the run already. And... Now the thing that that the the Bucks are going to have to worry about going the other way on that 23rd ranked offense is that they won't have Doug Martin. Uh so their 21st ranked run game is going to take a hit. Uh but they are about 20 set or their 22nd points and tied for 19th in passing. But Los Angeles this is this is where things get interesting. <laughs> L.A., ninth in overall defense, uh, 18th versus the run, and 8th versus the pass, and then 7th in points allowed. Uh, I, I don't know how to look at this game other than thinking, okay, the Buccaneers are likely going to try and run the ball against the Rams. 
and the Rams would like to do the same, but that is not really uh, something that either team is is very fond of giving up. Are the rushing yards? Sure. How do you? How do you? Because I, I want to stay with the offense of of last week, but. What did you see last week, and then we'll jump into this week, what did you see last week that maybe gives you some hope or makes you cringe headed into week three? I think it's the attempt to open things up in the pass. I mean, you saw Kenny Britt, obviously, made some good work over the middle. Uh, The problem is they just didn't get much down the sidelines with anybody else, and and there's no other threats. There's no, you know, Lance Kendricks popped off, I think, two decent plays and then two uh, smaller ones. Tyler Higbee didn't factor. Uh, Tavon Austin barely factored, and certainly given how many looks he had, didn't factor. Brian Quick, you know, was Brian Quick. Here's the real question is, it, not when it's third and six. When it's third and six, it's, it's got to be a pass play. That's not going to change a defense. The way you change a defense is when they're considering run, right? So on first and ten, on second and five, when, when the run is the, the likely play for the Rams, especially a designed run, and, and you either play action or you work out of that same formation, who who's the player that's going to spread the linebackers deep and the the safeties across, and right now they don't have anybody, and, and, and that's a that's a function both of the personnel, but it's also the play calling, um, and that's the real question. We talked about the run. I think the question for the run for both teams isn't it will, it's can. Can either a team establish a running game? Uh, you know, the Rams haven't been able to this season. They have not been able to get Todd Gurley going, and you know, like I said, I don't think it's his fault. Hashtag it's not Todd Gurley's fault. Can they get that going against the Buccaneers? Maybe. But the more enticing question to me is if they can get the passing game going because that opens up the run in a way that we haven't seen, both in terms of stacking the box and having defenders crash down. Now, looking at the the Buccaneers' offense, man, this this is mind-blowing to me. Did you know that Mike Evans only needs 15 yards to become the fifth uh, leading receiver in uh, Buccaneers history. That's quick. I mean, Mike. I didn't. I, right. That I mean, the, 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 well, the the Buccaneers have been devoid outside of. Yeah, I mean, my, my favorite thing about the. Uh, you know, what's up? No, I was just gonna say they just haven't had a, a ton of productive wide receivers as of late. Yeah. No, I mean, this is in their history. But then you you go back and you look at, you know, somebody like me would be familiar with the fact that John McKay coached that team. And I think my all-time favorite McKay quote was, on the offense's execution. I'm in favor of it. The the Buccaneers haven't been in favor of it in the years past. I mean, the good thing is they got the personnel now. I mean, it's it's a hell of a test. Here's what I'd say about the Rams facing... This offense, because you got Jameis Winston, you got Mike Evans, you got Austin Safarian uh, Jenkins, ton of weapons. This is the first team that, as part of their designed offense, is going to drop back. You know, in those same situations I was talking about, the Rams establishing the run. 
San Francisco isn't going to do it with Blaine Gabbard and that offensive line. Seattle sure as hell isn't going to do it. They didn't do it last week. They rely more on Russell Wilson scrambling and extending plays, and with his ankle, they couldn't do it. Uh, this is the first team where Jameis is going to drop back on first and ten and start to look deep. And you know, last week he was gunning the ball, and it just didn't happen. He's still he's still going to make those throws. Trumaine Johnson said it was it this weekend or, the, or earlier this week when he says he's not worried about the coverage. He's worried about the design, and if the design is I'm looking for my guy uh, outside shoulder and on one-on-one if he gets it he's going to throw it it doesn't matter if the guy's got got the right coverage or not uh this is the first opportunity that the Rams have really had to go in on the pass rush, uh, especially with Robert Quinn and William Hayes obviously off the edge, uh, where they can really pin their ears back and really get after the quarterback. Jameis Winston isn't a mobile quarterback. They don't have Doug Martin as a release valve. Uh, they don't have any you know, really big targets underneath that are going to uh, flash, you know, like red zone p- possession capabilities. And they don't have a table in Austin type. So this is the first time where, you know, you got a team that's looking intermediate to deep on passing opportunities, especially early on, and a quarterback that likes to be aggressive and try to take advantage of them. So, you know, it creates one of those mismatches where hopefully you can see the defensive line take over the first half and dominate the game and put some things together for the offense. Maybe a fumble, maybe creating that interception with a return and put the Rams offense in a good position they haven't really had yet yeah Lord knows that it can be done you know sure. uh, the, the but now see the 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 Rams don't quite have the cards offense but the cards offense was able to put up uh, about 416 ish 415 16 yards on uh, the Buccaneers now Bruce Arians will do that to you, but you would think, probably rather convincingly, that this game will not have that forty to some, unless the Rams are on the end of the uh, of the uh, 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 the other end of the forty. Um, yikes. Hashtag yikes! Let's hope that doesn't happen. But uh, where do you come down? on what the Buccaneers are as a unit in terms of their progression under Dirk Cutter. Because this is a guy that took over, you know, basically hijacked Lovey Smith's job, has come sure. in there one week, okay, one week, yeah! So you don't really know what you're going to get with this team, do you? I don't, I don't think so, and that you know that was obviously one of the big questions that I'm waiting to see uh, for the Q&A that I've got with Sander, uh, how he responds. Is, Look, year one for Dirk Cutter, year two for Jameis Winston, they got a lot of unknown quantities over there, and you know until they, they get a sense of what they can do well, at least for this year, and then what they want to try to do. Look, we're in year five for Jeff Fisher with the Rams. To, to expect them to really know – what what they are in year one week three for Dirk Cutter is a, is a little impossible. I, I think what makes it tougher is obviously the disparity between the first two games that they had. Um, the the one thing that I would say that the, that the Rams have that they don't have is the benefit of a defense they can trust. You just you can't trust the Buccaneers' defense right now, and that's from both games. Remember, Arizona went out twenty four to nothing uh, to start the game. I think going into halftime. So you you already had a game where Tampa Bay was essentially playing this entire second half out of desperation. Um, I mean that'd be, that'd be a nice position for the Rams to be in, uh, 
But, you know, it, it's one of those things where does that mean that Tampa Bay starts game planning for that? Or do they, st- do they still go into this game assuming that the defense is capable and they can rely on it? Because what you had last week, I mean, the, the, the Arizona didn't get a ton out of the running game. Um, they got a little bit here and there. It wasn't great, though. What they, what they really had was a passing game. Carson Palmer was linking up deep with some guys, and I think he crossed 300 yards. I know he had three touchdowns, uh, you know, to compare to Jameis Winston's four interceptions. The, the thing is you're just not going to get that out of Case Keenum in this passing offense. So, again, it comes down to can you get the running game going? If, the if, four if interceptions can, or the, uh, the, the 300 <laughs> or and the some odd yards? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think the 300 yards is the key that you're not going to get. You might get a couple interceptions. We haven't seen that yet, and hopefully Keenum doesn't fall. I mean, he did have two, uh, but I don't know that they were on him. Uh, one of them was uh, in week one. But the bigger issue is you're not going to get that many yardage, that many yards. You can't move the ball in this offense through the air that way over the course of an entire game. The best you can do is maybe get a good quarter, get a good drive, maybe once a quarter, and that can be enough when you got the defense. Look, we just beat the Seahawks. We saw it. You don't need to put up 300 yards in the passing game. What you need to do is take advantage of your opportunities, win the field position battle, win on special teams and defense. It's a weird matchup, but but coming out of that game, certainly there's some things that you you appreciate as a Rams fan, given what Arizona was able to do, no doubt. Yeah. So how much does that beat down encourage you? Like, is going into that? Can you do you take anything from that? Or do you have to put that in a box and say, that's a Bruce Arians offense and the Rams, like, you you yeah. can't pull crap from that. I mean, you kind of just touched on that. But I, I want to dig a little bit deeper here as to whether or not the overall beatdown was encouraging. Because Arizona's defense just wreaked havoc. And if... if if Arizona's defense can do that, then you'd think that the Rams, who in my opinion have a better defense, be able to do the same. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's not necessarily will they, it's that they can. That's the main thing you got to take away from it. It's nothing It's nothing too profound. It's just the fact that if somebody else can do it, you can do it. And, and, and you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, they are who they thought, who we thought they were. You know what I'm saying? Is uh, it, it's a team that, that that you recognize is is beatable when you put the defense out there, despite the talent that they have on offense. So, uh, I, I think the bigger question is uh, kind of what we talked about with with the 49ers game is what is the Rams game plan? Uh, you know, you got some personnel changes. It's week three, so. Um, you get a little bit more sense of what you want to do in terms of personnel. Guys like Cody Wickman, Josh Forrest, and who knows, uh, you know, Cody Sensabaugh and Troy Hill. Spruce, some personnel changes. Spruce yeah, and, and you got the Cooper you, you coming got, back. And EJ Gaines. You got the three yeah. main guys that have been injured. And, and who knows what that means in terms of who they kick off the active roster, right? So if, if Spruce and Cooper are back, you would assume that means you got to kick two wide receivers to the inactive roster. What does that mean? If it, you know, obviously Mike Thomas becomes an obvious candidate, but does that mean Bradley Marquez or Brian Quick? Because if it's Bradley Marquez, now you got special team snaps to worry about, and who does that mean? You have to switch around where and that kind of stuff. So yeah, you got some big questions coming up, and, and 
you know, the bigger one more than anything is Jared Goff. And it doesn't sound like this is going to be the week, obviously, coming off a win that there's no real motivation to press him into play. But that's the kind of thing that you start looking at is as this team develops and people start getting comfortable is you can play the rookies that Fisher is loath to rush into the you know season. But uh, things start working, you know, through practice, albeit a, a weird practice week, a weird practice schedule. But, uh, you know, maybe you see some more Josh Forrest. Maybe you see some more Tyler Higby. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see what the Rams do. On the flip side of that, though, um, I want to talk about what the Rams' defense needs to do for uh, a couple of minutes here. And we're going to talk... First, I want to explore the injury to Doug Martin. Uh, What does that do for the Rams, or does that cause more problems? Because now you've got to worry about some dude that you probably not spent a lot of time watching tape. Yeah, historically, it's been the latter for the Rams, is that the guys that you expect them to perform to a high level against, you know, the Adrian Petersons of the world, Le'Veon Bell, the, uh, Chris Johnson in his heyday, and uh, DeMarco Murray, a lot of guys like that, they put up decent performances uh, against in recent years. Uh, the early years under Fisher Bowl, not so much, but uh, once he was able to build this run defense off three years, four years in, They've done a better job against the better running backs. And so, you know, I, I, I don't know what that means for, like, you know, Charles uh, Sims and who else is it? What's there? Is it Jaquiz Rogers? Is that who Tampa Bay, I think, has? Um, you know, it, it, it's not Doug Martin. And so it, I think that I think the other side of the coin is how much does Tampa play into that? It was kind of a thing that, you know, they didn't anticipate going into the Arizona game. And so they kind of had to work it out on the fly, you wonder how much of the run game they're going to try to install this week. Uh, and, and because they have a quarterback who isn't mobile, unlike uh, Russell Wilson, unlike some of the other guys the Rams are going to face this season, you you wonder what that means for the running game. They're not going to get anything for the quarterback. It's kind of just uh, Charles Sims and Jaquiz Rogers, two guys that aren't really necessarily... Uh, you ain't uh, going to give Peyton Barber any love? Peyton Barber, my, I'm sorry, you know, the NFL... Uh, Swiss Army knife. Look, here's what I'm interested in: is not necessarily do they stop him, but what are the Rams playing? Look, we saw Josh Forrest come out the first play of the game against Seattle. That's the kind of thing that sets a tone, right? Whether or not he makes a play, the fact that Josh Forrest was out there for the first play of the game against Seattle after not even playing told you, okay, the Rams saw something in the linebacker sets against the 49ers they weren't comfortable with. They got a change for the Seahawks. They made a change out the gate, and and however you want to define it, and certainly within the context of a 60-minute game, Things evolve, but it all worked. They, they held the Seahawks to three points, uh, and, and it starts with the first series and the first quarter. And, uh, and so I'm interested to see what that means uh, in this battle on Sunday because if they come out and they set that same tone again, everybody if, – if, think about it like this. If it's 0-0 at the end of the first quarter, you're expecting another 9-3 game. The question is which way it's going to tilt. Uh, I think the big thing is to make sure that the Rams are able to keep it that kind of a game because that's the kind of football they want to play. Well, the only way you're going to do that is to stop Mr. Aggie, Mr. Texas A&M himself, Mikey Football. Um, Mikey Football. (laughs) Well, hey, dude, Johnny Football ain't doing anything with the nickname. No. So my question is, and it's a simple one, Joe, how do you stop it? I don't think you do, man. 
I mean, he, he's one, he's one of those guys. Look as big as he is, and, and look at the game. I mean, I know a lot of people don't watch college football, and especially watch A and M necessarily. Although, great game coming up this weekend. People want to check out A and M, who's got a full complement of wide receivers coming to the NFL. They're taking on uh, Arkansas late on Saturday. Mike Evans is a big dude. I think he's six five, uh, not skinny. <laughs> You know, he's he's the kind of guy that creates matchup problems. He's got size, he's got athleticism, and he, he's got physicality. He, put it like this, he's the receiver that the Rams wish, the, that were hoping they were getting out of Brian Quick. Um, I, I, I don't know how you stop him. They, they targeted him nearly 20 times against Arizona. Uh, and, and when you're willing to go after a guy that much downfield, and because he wins battles with physicality, so you, you don't have to worry about him giving up easy interceptions, that's the kind of weapon that can change games at the wide receiver position. Yeah, and Evans, uh, I mean, like you said, he uh, was targeted 17 times, and the dude still had 70 yards. I mean, and a touchdown. I mean, he wasn't getting the ball a lot, but from the sounds of the, uh, you know, the game, because obviously I wasn't watching Arizona beat down the Bucks, but uh, from 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 what you can glean from all of the reports, it doesn't sound like that offense was all that inventive. It was kind of huck it, chuck it, get Ben Roethlisberger. You know what I mean? Just yeah throw it up and hope that it sticks and it didn't. But Mike Evans still found a way to pull down nearly 100 yards. Um, He's going to get his. And the other thing I would note is, look, Arizona's got a great secondary. You know, Teron Matthew, Patrick Peterson, mm -hmm. Tony Jefferson, Brandon Woods, they got a ton of talent in the back. So that's about as good as Mike Evans is going to face. The fact that they kept going to him is probably more of the indication is that when you've got a quarterback that's struggling, when you lose Doug mm -hmm. Martin, what, what do you do? You just go to your best weapon and, and hope that he's able to make things easier for you. And that's what Mike Evans is. I and, wouldn't be surprised. And, and if, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets more than a dozen targets. I wonder how many sure. of those were targeted right at uh, what's his bucket. How many of the balls oh. intended for Mike Evans were intercepted? I think. I think only one of them was. I'd, I'd have to go back and see all four. I know one of them wasn't for sure because I was watching it when it happened. I think the bit. The here's the thing: is that. You get interceptions on guys from Mike Evans, not from great coverage, because it's too hard to cover a guy like that. Mm -hmm. You get it from pass pressure. You get it from pass pressure when Jameis Winston, you know, has an indication in his head before he snaps the ball that no matter what, I'm throwing it to Mike Evans. And so when you bring pass pressure and he's unable to really get a feel for spacing and know where to throw the ball where it's safe, he just throws it in that direction, and that's when you can get an interception on Mike Evans. It has nothing to do with really Evans, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with Winston. It's all about pressure. And so that's one of the good things for the Rams is that they should be able to get pass pressure against anybody in this league pretty much, but certainly against an offensive line like the Buccaneers. And if they can do that, they're going to find some success. How are you digging on the uh, defensive line, man? I mean, how's how you feeling on it? There was a lot of talk, uh, and I know Cam sure. and I did a lot of talk, you know, because Robert Quinn was coming over – and the big argument there is that he's going to get used properly, probably for the first time in a long time. Uh, or excuse me, Quentin Copel's coming over. Uh, uh, and, and 
it was just, how is this all going to gel? How is this going to mesh with Aaron Donald? Robert Quinn going to come back healthy? How is that going to look? Well, he looked pretty good knocking the hell out of Russell Wilson. But what I want to know is, how do you rate the unit as a whole? Because the first week, they were non-existent. Well, here's what I would say. They were non-existent on the box score. Think about it like this. What were the two components of this team that that anybody outside of the Rams bubble talked up all offseason? The defensive line and Todd Gurley, right? So if, if you're an opponent game planning for the Rams, those are the, those are the two parts on offense and defense that you have to game plan for first and foremost. So if you're, if you're game planning, and we already know what's happened to Todd Gurley, and again, hashtag not Todd Gurley's fault. If you're game planning for the defensive line, there's two ways to deal with it. Number one, you run through them. And number two, you deal with quick passes so that you negate a pass rush. And that's largely what we've seen. Now, that Russell Wilson, as part of his game, you have to allow him to try to extend plays. And that's part of why Seattle's struggling right now is because he's not healthy and he can't do that as well. Uh, you know, it makes it a hell of a lot easier for you to uh, contain underneath and kind of spy the you, ball. And what you would really thought was that finally having sex in that concussion water would really help him <laughs> get back on the field a lot quicker. Nano bubbles don't seem to be helping him no. as much as uh, maybe he would have offered. Uh, but the, uh, if if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and like we said, this is a team that likes to drop back. They want Jameis Winston to take a seven-step drop because he passes the ball so damn well. You want him to see the field and rip it. This is the kind of game where you don't necessarily want to do that, at least not early. And so that's one of the real things I'm interested to see is how many opportunities do they give the Rams, especially outside of third down. If it's third down and nine, whatever, it's third down and nine, you got to do what you got to do. But when it's second down and six or first and ten, are they, are they going to let Jameis really drop back and, and face the, the potential of a full rush and the, the physicality that that offers? Look at what happened to Russell Wilson. He's on a bum ankle. If you're the Buccaneers, you don't, you don't want to let Winston risk that kind of uh, punishment. And so I'm interested to see you know first and second downs and even the, th- the short third downs. How, how much they let him really drop back and really work because if it's me, I'm not even giving the Rams defensive line that chance. Now, here's the thing is it, it, it opens up the criticism, like you said, that they were non-existent. I think the thing is that their existence affects the games in ways that makes them non-existent. It doesn't show up on the box score. You don't get the sacks. You don't get QB hits, but you affect the game. And when you affect the game that way, then, look, it's on your cornerbacks to, to tighten up pressure. And obviously the Rams, we're going to have to get into the cushion of death. So the cushion of death, little little Rams 101 for some of the new listeners. For whatever reason, Greg Williams and Jeff Fisher in general likes to play off their cornerbacks about six uh, yards, especially on third down. They like to give them this big cushion. Now, if it's third and three and you're six yards off, it, it makes it pretty damn easy to run an inside slant or a little quick hitch and then just scoot forward for a third, uh, first first down. That's going to happen, and we're going to point it out. It's called the Cushion Death COTD. I don't know why it's still a point of this uh, defense to implement in situations like that, but it is, and it's going to happen. The, the bigger question is once you get a defensive line that's ratcheting up uh, the, the, the effect on an offense where they're starting to game plan against it and do quick hitting, quick strike passes – avoiding seven-step drops, relying on you know three-step drops and short, quick timing passes and timing routes, do you start letting the cornerbacks pinch up? 
And when you do that, we obviously know LaMarcus Joyner and Trumaine Johnson are physical enough to do that. But the Rams are, are struggling to figure out who else is going to do that. EJ Gaines is coming off an injury, didn't play at all in 2015. Cody Sensabaugh got signed out of free agency and got swapped for Troy Hill, a 2015 undrafted free agent. You saw Russell Wilson try to pick on him last week. That's a hobbled Russell Wilson without maybe the best weapons to take advantage of it. If you let a healthy Jameis Winston and a healthy maybe Mike Evans start targeting uh, you know, a hole like that in the Rams defense, that's where things can get ugly. Yeah, yeah. I, I just the difference between the two is stark. Um sticking with uh the confidence your overall confidence meter and and we'll end here on our actual game talk because uh, I wanted to get into something else that's somewhat game related but anybody who followed you on Twitter will undoubtedly Uh-oh. be familiar with uh, but the last question about this game that I'm going to ask is uh, as a religious man how much did the <laughs> return of Cooper, Spruce and EJ Gaines boost your confidence in this team's ability. Deuteronomy 3-4, no, I'm playing. Um, I don't know, because I, I, look, we don't we don't know what they are, and we don't know what they, think about all the talk that we had in the preseason about Tyler Higby, right? Uh, and the limited degree to which he's actually factored in to meaningful regular season action. Hey, I'd say this, it's good to have them back. You want the full complement of a healthy roster, no doubt. But but here here's what I'd say. The Rams had the worst offense in 2015. You you rattled off the stats through two games earlier. The idea that a fourth round rookie and an undrafted free agent rookie is going to come in and be the the the, the religious saviors, uh, the the faithful uh, saviors of this offense is just too ridiculous. It's not going to happen. I think that the the bigger question is. Once they get there, how does that change things? Does that, that does maybe having Nelson Spruce as a possession guy open things up for Tavon Austin and maybe Bradley Marquez or some of the, uh, or even Farrell Cooper, some of the more athletic guys? Does having uh, EJ Gaines allow the Rams to, maybe what they were forced to deal with with the Troy Hill Cody Sensible swap? What was what was playing to limit those uh, negative opportunities? Do suddenly they get a little bit more confident and start adding another blitz wrinkle, uh, which we know Greg Williams loves. Uh, is that something we're going to see? And obviously with EJ Gaines' experience with the playbook now in his third year, albeit you know one that uh, missed his second year in the league, maybe that's the kind of thing that the injuries do. Kind of like what we were talking about with the defensive line and, and being a uh, you know a, a, a unit that didn't necessarily factor in on the box score. Maybe getting Cooper Spruce and EJ Gaines, the best thing that they offer isn't what they individually offer to the field, but what they allow other guys to do and what they allow the Rams to do to scheme around. Yeah, I was thinking something similar along those lines. I uh, more so that there's not a significant enough body of work that you could take any kind of of money and feel confident placing it on one of those two to come through and win you a ball game in in week three. Well, sure. You know, after after not they, having they haven't, they haven't played a single down. Right. They haven't right, played right. a single down. But. 
we do know that guys can come in and be impact rookies and that guys can come in who've been previously unheard of uh, and, and, and start catching some balls. Um, so to that if effect... You're, if you're going to be optimistic about that opportunity, it's the fact that the bar is so low for the Rams right. that... There's there's even less of anything in the way for a Cooper or a Spruce. This you know if you went to the Buccaneers and you're Nelson Spruce, you got a lot of guys in front of you on that depth chart that it's you know Vincent Jackson, uh, Mike Evans that it's going to be tough to get in front of to get time. You come to the Rams, all you got to do is get in front of Brian Quick. That's not asking a ton. No, no, it's not asking for a whole lot. And you know I I I do think that. That Spruce is a bit underrated. I hate that term, but I'm going to use it anyway. I, I think that he will surprise is probably what I want to say. Um, I think that he has the ability to to sort of, like you said, jump ahead of Brian Quick and become that guy. Um, not necessarily long term, but I think he can do it enough that he gives the Rams confidence moving forward. And maybe they're able to free some things up. Uh, to address some other areas because they don't feel as pressed to go out and trade or trade up just to get a wide receiver. Uh, I want to talk very briefly uh, about the upcoming schedule. Uh, Look, basically four of the next five games that the Rams play while... Technically, uh, one of them is a bye, uh, and and one of them is in London. Uh, it's a it's a, it's, it's a home, home game. game. Yeah, the Rams get to get, get to play at home in London, so their schedule reads accordingly: at Arizona, home against Buffalo, at Detroit, home in London against the Giants, and then a bye. Um, you basically get one home date there over the next month and a half. Yeah. How do you, how does that wear on you? Well, I, I th- this is where Jeff Fisher is at his best. And I, I know there's been plenty of criticism coming out of every corner of Tertial Times about Jeff Fisher over the last couple of months and over the last couple of years. And I'd say that's fair. This is what Jeff Fisher does. Well, he manages the ins and outs of NFL life. I, I would say as well as, if not better than any NFL coach, the results and the game planning, that stuff, no doubt there's plenty of criticism, but to keep a team together, look, there's a reason why he was hired twice uh, to oversee a relocation of a franchise. There, there's a reason why he's the guy when they when he drafted uh, Kenny Britt and Albert Hainsworth and Janoris Jenkins, excuse me, and, and tons of other guys with those kind of off-field red flags, that those things don't manifest themselves in the NFL. Uh, th- this is the kind of thing that he handles really well, and I mean that sincerely. Um, this offseason was the first time that we had some concerns about that with Trey Mason and TJ McDonald, obviously, with the non-alcohol DUI. And we'll have to see how that ha- how that develops. But look, TJ McDonald's on the field. Trey Mason, hopefully he's getting um, some help. We haven't heard much on that front since the preseason. Uh, but this is the kind of thing that Jeff Fisher handles well. He handles the, the, the roller coaster of uh, issues 
inside a locker room and inside a franchise really, really well week to week. Uh, so I, I don't think that's necessarily the problem. I think the issue is, like you said, you only get one home game. So you only get the home advantage once out of the next five games. Three of them are true road games, and one of them is, let's say, a neutral site. Uh that, that doesn't bode well for a team that, you know, is trying to put forth its first winning season in 13 years. And, and it, it, it's easy to say that it, that this week is the determining week because it's just in front of us, right? And there's a kind of bias to say, to say oh, this is the shiny bauble right in front of my face. This is the most important thing I can see. But I really do think this is the pivotal game. Uh, you know, the trip to Arizona is probably too much to ask, although Fisherball w- would suggest something else. The Buffalo-Detroit back-and-back, it, it, it's probably 1-1 one and one at best, maybe 0-2. Oh we'll have to see. The London game, who the hell knows? The last time the Rams were in London, it was against uh, New England. Uh, you can look up the result if you want, but make sure you put the kids to bed first. <laughs> yeah, so to me, you, you've kind of got a 1-2 a and two stretch between the Arizona-Buffalo-Detroit trio. Uh, uh, who knows what you're getting out of New York in, in London. And then you got this game. And, and so this game could be the difference between, you know, three and three or two and four and, and something even worse. And, and that that's kind of the problem is that if you get into something worse, and this is what I've kind of said and kind of set up all through the preseason because this is what we've been conditioned to as Rams fans under Jeff Fisher. And th- this is this is one thing I'm interested to hear from you, Josh, week to week as we go through this, is how Los Angeles responds to this. If the Rams start off this season two and four, two and five, three and five, whatever, if it's just not pretty and the offense isn't coming and they're not getting results and Jared Goff either isn't on the field or once he gets out there, he doesn't look great and isn't getting results. How is Los Angeles going to respond to this? Look, it's September. Right now, they've got it pretty much to themselves. The Dodgers are winding down and whatnot. you got baseball playoffs coming up. Then you get into the, the NBA season. And you, whatever, whatever, and I don't want to get too deep into it. I know you and your USC Trojans, but you got the end of college football. There's a lot of other competing factors going on in Los Angeles. I just wonder if we get the same kind of uh, setup going into that bye in week eight. And coming out of it against Carolina, how Los Angeles is going to respond to Rams football? It was it was one thing to get the return and to see the Coliseum in Week Two, you know, sun shining, red hot chili peppers, the pomp and circumstance of the NFL returning to Los Angeles. That was great. You come back Week Five against Buffalo, and, and you're one and three, and you ain't got no red hot chili peppers, you ain't got no CeeLo, you ain't got no LeBron James, <laughs> and maybe it's not as sunny, it's nice and cool, and everybody's saying, okay, what the hell's up with this Rams team? They're looking pretty so, crappy. So things things cool change pretty quickly. Be hey, I can get down with cool in the game. Hold up. Cool in the game might be a better draw than red hot chili peppers for some of us, man. Hold on. Yeah, yeah <laughs> well, I got to be honest, man. I, I'm a bit tired of seeing Flea and Anthony Kiedis, so right. I, oh. I I would take cool in the gang on this one as well. If, if we're get down on it. Look, I, come on, man. I can get down with some cool. But that's the kind of the thing is you can, you can, only, rely, you can only rely on that glitz for so long on, on the showmanship. You know, at some point that starts to wear off. And Los Angeles says, yeah, I get it, but you're not that new anymore. It's time to start playing some football. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I don't know when they get to that point. <clears throat> um. 
I think it'll really depend on what becomes of this defense. Yeah. I mean, if this defense becomes a world beater, and it which they look like in week two, they look like in week two. If if, if this team becomes a world beater through their defense and 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 uh, you know overachieving, uh, it wouldn't shock me in the slightest. Uh, they're that talented on defense. You know, I've 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 seen far more speculative would be an apt way to put it. More speculative uh, defenses go further in into the postseason. Uh, but your overall point about how it's going to play out in the long run, I I just I think it depends on on what kind of a product the 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 fans are getting in the overall sense, really. Like, sure. <clears throat> there are a lot of people, like, I think the best way to put this is that, like, you have, say, like, your Arsenal fans and your United fans. Like, United want to win the game a certain way. Arsenal just kind of want to win the game. Like, it's, just. it's, it's sort of... It's it, it, that's kind of where we're at right now. Like I, I mean, I, the Rams just need to start winning some games, and if they do yep. that, I don't think people are going to give two dams about how it's done, what the scores are. Of course not. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I think that they'll buy into. I think it would be richly. I don't even know if it would be ironic. But at least richly weird as shit if the Rams became, like, the bellwether for NFL defenses. Sure. Won a, uh, won a crown, you know, just with some marginal play from Case Keenum and one of the best defenses <laughs> we've ever seen. Like, I mean... Case he said, hey, but look, man, I'm sure nobody thought Brad Johnson's name was going to go down in history. How, how dare you, de- how dare you disparage Brad Dil- Johnson? Don't <laughs> even Dil- get me started on Trent Dilfer, dude. So here's what I would say. Dude, Three quick thoughts. Right. Number one, number one, you made it 53 minutes before the first P- uh, Premier League reference. You're awesome. stretching it out, man. Hey, See? man. Awesome. Very good. Improve it. Number two, that... Uh, I, here's what I here's what I would suggest is that uh, the level of expectations is what's coloring Rams football more than anything to their benefit. And, and I would think about it like this: I'll ask you, real simple, what's USC's record right now? Uh, they have one win and two losses. What describe a one and two record for USC in one word? Unacceptable. All right. Let's assume the Rams lose this game in Tampa Bay, and let's assume it's close. Define a one and two Rams record in one word. Acceptable. You know what I mean? That that's really the difference. Is that is that is that the Rams have this weird benefit, whether it's because of their last couple seasons, or because they're new to Los Angeles, or because let's be realistic, they just don't have the roster and the. Uh, the, the the superstars that you expect to be able to provide greater performances, 
one one and two, even if it's not, even if there are people that disagree with you, it's not what USC is at one and two. And so that's the big thing. And so when we talk about number three is where this team is going, it kind of doesn't matter. And I don't mean that I don't mean that in a bad way or a negative way or anything like that. It's just one of those things where. The, the expectations are low enough for Los Angeles Rams football right now that they can muddle through the season, figure out something to get out of uh, the defense moving forward and figure out some game plan for how they want to, you know, sculpt around Aaron Donald and, 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 and organize things in the secondary because it's a bit of a personnel mess right now. And then figure out how to begin bringing in Jared Goff that by the time you get through this season, if you get to 2017, I don't know that anybody looks at this season and says, well, they didn't get to the playoffs. It's a failure. I almost think it's more that anything they do this year to set up Jared Goff and Los Angeles Rams football moving forward is more important than anything. And that's why what I said last week or last week on the podcast that we didn't get to keep was that what you had said is that if they win 13 <coughs> games that certain people have to eat their words – yeah, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing about winning, right, is what, whenever you win games, that validates the approach. And for the Rams, the problem is they haven't won enough games to validate it. And so at this point, it's not even about winning in 2016. I think it's winning down the line that's going to validate an approach that's maybe starting now. And yes. I know that sucks. I mean, I know that I know that sucks for people to say you got to wait, but I think I think right now the Rams are in a waiting period. I really do. Yeah, I actually agree with you. Uh, so let's end that there, and I want to talk about something that may be a little bit odd, and that can be how we uh, we wrap up the podcast in terms of our overall content. Uh, we'll get into some closing. Well, yeah, we'll get into uh, some closing formalities. Um, the Rams have suddenly decided after 21 years that they are, well, Jeff Fisher uh, has decided after 21 years uh, that he's going to change his practice schedule. Uh, why, why don't you tell us a bit more about this and, and why you find it so odd? Well, here's the, he's done it for 20 years. If we, Josh, if we were married... And I came, I came, I came home every night at six o'clock. And when I came home, I kissed you and I said, "Hey, good evening. How was your day? How how'd you sleep last night? What are we having for dinner? Uh, anything we need to talk about? Uh, any any you know maintenance issues that I need to know about that you want me to think about? And I'm obviously thinking about it in real life as a husband. These are the things I think about when I come home. And, and after twenty years of marriage." I start coming home and I say, hey, what's up? And I just go straight to the room. You're going to say, huh, that's interesting. He's the, not necessarily that anything's wrong, but it's very different. And after 20 years, after 20 years, different becomes a little weird, right? Yeah. Jeff Fisher, like anybody else almost in the NFL, has gone through a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday practice schedule and has done so for 20 years, pretty much of his NFL head coaching career. And then last year decided to move that to a Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. Now, that's not the biggest deal in the world, which is kind of the point. It's not the biggest deal in the world. Is Jeff Fisher looking at – you remember he coached 20 years with the Titans-Oilers franchise. He had six winning seasons and 14 where he either finished 8-8 eight and eight or with losing seasons. Did he look at any of those losing seasons and say the reason we lost was because we were practicing on Thursdays? If only I had given them Thursdays off. 
we could have we could have had a little bit more success in the postseason. The, 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 the idea that this matters is so infinitesimally small. And, and so here's the thing. It, it, I get And if you go back, we covered it on Churchill Times, and there's plenty of other places to look at this. I get the idea that maybe – and Chip Kelly does this too. Maybe Thursday allows them a little bit more rest, and it makes them fresher for game day, or that it uh, allows some mental respite, and it does something psychologically, or whatever the reasons are for doing this. You know who doesn't do this? All the other teams that were in the playoffs last year, every other damn NFL team, it just it seems so arbitrary to 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 switch the the practice week, and it seems like one of those things where the main reason to do it is you get the benefit of just kind of confusing people, right, and, and and confusing your opponent, confusing the media, confusing fans, confusing everybody to say what the hell's going on, and the best the best way to look at it is what you got in the in the injury report. The NFL still mandates that we have to report uh, we that NFL teams have to report on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Friday. So what they did yesterday and Wednesday was provide a report after their first two practices. So. Technically, that report is supposed to match up with the first report on Tuesday, so they can kind of mask any injury information that they want in that report. The report that they released today on Thursday is on a day off, so it's a completely made-up fictional injury report. And, and, and they even admit it in the injury report that they submit that it presupposes this is what might have happened. As, as if – I mean think about this, Josh. Are they going to put – hey? Uh, we didn't practice today, but we assumed that maybe somebody might have blown out their ACL. So we're just going to put down Robert Quinn was a did not practice. Like that just doesn't make any damn sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole it, it's just weird, and but it's fitting for Fisher because there's no rational explanation, and, and the only way to really explain it is that it's going to screw with people. And so in the end, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> I can I can understand and appreciate that. At a, at a certain point, once you've been there for so long, you're like, you know what? I'm going to change it up just to mess with people. It really, I mean, that's what it is, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing I got that makes sense. But that's what I'm saying. All I'm all I'm saying is, if we've been married 20 years, look, maybe I'm not coming home till seven tonight. I don't hey, know. Deal hey. with it, Josh. Well, <clears throat> all I'm saying is when I get. Know, you come home as late as you need, because I've been using the house all day. Uh, but boss of me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's talk about what you got upcoming. Uh, anything uh, that you're going to be dropping on the site that's sure. uh, of note, my friend. Q and A obviously is going to be big because that's that that's the best way. You got to remember the way that we deal with the Rams, where we watch every game and every week we're in here every single day monitoring what's going on in the team. That's the way these guys are with the Buccaneers over at Bucks Nation. That's the way Field Goals is with the Seahawks. Nobody knows the ins and outs better of what's going on with the franchise and is willing to speak to it more honestly than those guys. And that's what's you know so valuable about SB Nation is you got this great network of people who know their teams and know the ins and outs of the NFL better than anybody. So uh, excited to see what kind of information I get back from Sander and, and what kind of, uh, you know, interaction we can have with the fans from Bucks Nation because just like readers and listeners of Tertial Times and Tertial Radio, uh, they have their own opinions that maybe don't decide that, you know, not everybody at Tertial Times has to agree with us. That's fine. But as a group, 
we we represent a collective uh, interpretation of the Rams mm-hmm. that's maybe more honest and more uh, accurate and representative than anybody. And so I, I always uh, cherish these opportunities to to link up with the other fan bases and see what they're saying about the Bucks. Kind of what we, you know the idea that we built this whole podcast. And we had these, uh, you know, understandings of what Mike Evans does and what Jameis Winston does, and what this and this and this and Dirk Cutter, what we were talking about earlier. Nobody, nobody gets to the point better than the fans of those guys. The same way we do with Jeff Fisher and Todd Gurley and Aaron Donald and uh, Troy Hill and Cody Sensabaugh and Josh Forrest and Tyler Higby. I mean, look, they've got their own Pharaoh Coopers and Nelson Spruces and E.G. Gaines on their side that we're saying, yeah, those guys don't matter. They're just fourth rounders and uh, undrafted free agents. You know what I'm saying? And, and to them, those are the guys that can help come in and uh, – make their season or at least change the fortunes coming off the game that they just had against Arizona. So always eager to see that stuff. And then we're going to have a full complement of previews from the staff. So uh, the matchups to watch, the rookies to watch, the veterans to watch, Tevin, Eddie, Sean, team roundtable on all of our predictions for win-loss. Um, those are always fun because everybody gets to go on the record and have a little uh, you know, blurb about how we think the game's going to go and what we think we're going to see. So it's going to be fun, man. But game week's always fun on tertial times, especially when you get down to the, towards the weekend. And as for myself, I'm going to snoop around into a group of youth footballers here in Bakersfield known as the Rams to see what that I doesn't sound to be. <laughs> I'm going to rephrase that. I'm going to go conduct pleasant business conversations <laughs> with a group of individuals who oversee the Bakersfield Rams football I'm youth team. <laughs> I'm going to go snoop around the kids. <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't until I got halfway done with that that I'm like, I- I'm, I'm going to cut that one back. But, uh... This is this has been illuminating. This has been exhilarating, and it has been exhausting. Uh, it almost always is when you talk about the Rams, though, Joe. It almost always is because it takes so much out of you to try and explain some of this stuff. But we know that we will be back next week. Probably be more bewildered, flummoxed, and uh, otherwise completely just baffled as to how or why the Rams did what they did uh, this Sunday. And, uh, yeah, I will obviously be going to a bar to watch it because the broadcast map flipping hates me again. <laughs> I, told, I told you to keep an eye on it. I think that's interesting. Okay. And so for listeners, Josh is in that Bakersfield, California, that little pie, Bakersfield and Santa Barbara. It, it's it's going to be interesting to watch, man. I, I'm interested to see how those, you know, well, Dude, what's what's the right the Rams. what's the right word for Bakersfield in in relationship to Los Angeles? It's not a suburb. It's not an exurb. Is it a no? What, what's the right it's word? nothing. We're a different county. It's not Bakersfield's yeah. a different county. It's a, I, 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 if you had asked me if Bakersfield would have gotten the first three Rams games, I would have thought it was almost a hundred percent, man. So be it. But that, that, here, here's what I'd say. Moving forward, what what I think is interesting is not just the Rams. Good weekend on the college front, too. I know you're a big college guy. You got some good stuff coming in college football this weekend. 
There really is. However, I will not be watching a single down of it this weekend. What? What? Yep. Will not be. Will not be, my friend, because I will be at the Pozo Saloon uh, watching the Descendants, No Effects, Youth Brigade, Swingin' Utters, Manic Hispanics, and or Manic Hispanic and the Bad Samaritans. Uh, I think I think that's the most California concert I've ever heard. <laughs> basically, basically that's, it is. That's impressive. Man. But you know what though? Yeah. I've I've never had the chance to see the Descendants before. I'm a huge fan. I saw No Effects. I've seen No Effects. I've seen No Effects before, and I've also seen Mamic Hispanic are absolutely fantastic. But the problem with it is, is like you can't be a white dude singing their songs, even walking around singing them, <laughs> because people are gonna look at you and go racist. You'd be like, no, no, but it's this Mexican band. Never mind. Like, I was driving around, and they have, uh, Manic Hispanic have a, uh, a, a play on, uh, Offsprings, uh, you know, come out and play. It's, it's called Get Em Immigrated. And, and so, it, <laughs> instead of keep them separated, it's, it's, you gotta get them immigrated. And it's, it's all about these Mexicans trying to sneak over the border. And it's it's basically it's like Weird Al. They take songs and they turn them into you know Mexican tropes or stereotypes, and they just have fun with it. Um, and and they're an immensely fun band. I recommend them to anyone who enjoys you know the punk variety of music or things that might be potentially inappropriate. Uh, but uh, they well, love what they all do. Good things are. Yeah. They love what they do. They are very connected to the Hispanic culture, and their songs to me are absolutely hilarious. So I may not, I, I finally get to walk around screaming manic Hispanic songs for like the first time in my life, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna really enjoy that. Uh, speaking of Hispanic, uh, I'm going to make a little Mexican uh, shrimp cocktail this weekend. Mm. I got all the stuff to make it from scratch. 12 o'clock, Georgia at Ole Miss That's and Wisconsin at Michigan. Wisconsin at Michigan State. Uh, then I'm going to line up a little time. 3.30, you got the Florida at Tennessee game. Obviously a huge streak going for Florida. Ton of talent on the Tennessee t- side. I don't know if you've seen Tennessee this year. Lots of talent. Lots of NFL talent. They've been uh, kind of boring. A little disappointing. Um Later on, you get LSU at Auburn. That's a fun game because Auburn's been all over the map, and LSU, despite probably having 20 guys that could come to the NFL next year, is not playing great football. Um, and then you get some of the night games. Hey, there's the LSU we know and love. Uh, Stanford at UCLA, going to be awesome. I think Stanford's just going to crush them, dude, to be perfectly honest with you. Well, Stanford's stacked. I mean, it's one of those things where as long as they keep the – doing what they're supposed to do. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to rub it in the face of you and everybody else, but they handled their business last week. They're setting no, everything. No, man, I like Stanford, dude. I, I, I think I, – I have said that if you don't like David Shaw or cannot get behind David Shaw as a coach, then I don't really want to know you. 
I believe you're talking about 2019 Los Angeles Rams head coach David Shaw. Yeah, yes, right. <laughs> potentials, no doubt there. Here, here's what I'd say. Uh, trap games. Trap games are real. They exist. And if there was ever one, Stanford at UCLA the week before they go to travel to Washington, yeah, that kind of screams out trappy trap trap. Mm. Um, and now, well, here's what I'd say. Stanford's the kind of game, like you mentioned, David Shaw. They got the coach. Uh, they have the culture to not uh, be sucked in by trap games. Yeah. But uh, if there was Shaw one. Shaw doesn't allow that type of stuff. And on top yeah. of that, I don't think anybody would be looking past Josh Rosen and saying, oh, this kid's a breeze. Sure. No, you, no. Uh, UCLA can't keep a receiver on campus to save their life, but they got a quarterback who could throw it to every single one of them if they could just keep him there. Is, is anybody closer to being a half-decent damn NFL, uh, college program than UCLA? I mean, they're, they're this close. They're this close. Maybe Virginia Tech. U USC maybe. <laughs> now see now you're being self-deprecating. That we've reached that point of the podcast. The late game, Arkansas at Texas A&M. Can't recommend this enough for two reasons. Number one, it's going to be a lot of fun because Arkansas is the craziest program in college football. Uh, they're all fat, they're all slow, and they're all great at football. Texas A&M, tons of talent on both sides of the ball. Really, really weird team. This is a team that only beat UCLA at home by a touchdown. Uh, and after this, after the Arkansas game, they get South Carolina. Then they get Tennessee at home. If they can get both of those, Texas A&M is probably a top five team. And then October 22nd, they get a bye week to prepare for Alabama. And you know what? When I come home to my lovely bride, Josh Webb, after a hard day's work, I want you to shut up and let me watch the Alabama game. It's going to be... Living in late October, I I am I am totally fine with that. Uh, See, that's why know, I'm married. I, I I I still think I don't know, man. I feel like Tennessee will get going. Oh well, you you only feel like that for so long, and then it's like, well, I guess they never will. Well, look, I mean, they're undefeated right now. They, they haven't been inspiring, but you know what? Neither was Auburn the year they went undefeated. Like, th- there were games that they won, and then there were games. Like, look, if, if, if you're Tennessee, maybe you're more worried about the fact that you've played Ohio and Appalachian State way too close, <laughs> but they, sure. did, they did beat the ever-loving Tar out of out of uh i i guess it would be uh virginia tech yeah and, uh, bud foster's yeah. virginia tech yeah. now it's a, it took a while to get going virginia tech jumped off here's what i'd say is that it, tennessee hasn't beaten florida in a generation if they if they can do it this weekend here here's where it gets interesting you got they've got florida at home they got Georgia on the road. They got A&M on the road. Georgia's ranked 12th. A&M's ranked 10th. If some way they can get past them, then they've got Alabama, and that's the week before what we were just talking about, the A&M-Alabama game. I mean, this this next month for the SEC is going to be a death match. And what I think is great is, and I don't want to – I mean, obviously, we're trying to keep this a Rams podcast. I love college football. I got to do a whole damn college football podcast. Is that the playoff right now, 
sets up in a weird way that it's it's kind of impossible to see where things are going. You've already lost Oklahoma. LSU might be on the verge of being out. Florida State, the way they got beat by Louisville, and the fact that Louisville faces Houston late in the season. We, we might have already seen that. USC is out, no doubt. But this next month, the posturing is going to be huge. And so it kind of starts this weekend. I'm just so excited by what what would normally be kind of a meh schedule because it lacks a lot of the headliners, gives you all these opportunities for so much to happen. You could have said the same tonight about Clemson, Georgia Tech, but in case anybody hasn't seen, Deshaun Watson already took over that game, and uh, Clemson is way out in front. So fun stuff, yeah. man. Yeah, I I don't really think I had any expectations for Georgia Tech. Like, anytime they say, because they always mention Georgia Tech's undefeated at some point during every season. And I'm just like, well, they just haven't been beaten yet. Sure. And I realize well, that's a dumb thing to say, but it makes total well, sense if, if you watch college football. And it makes total sense if you watch Georgia Tech. Hey, yeah. Let me ask you a question, man. Let me ask you a question. USC, y'all going to Utah the, uh, well, tomorrow. Friday, Friday night, yeah, USC, and Utah's ranked now. Yeah, USC, I, I don't want to... USC are going to lose, and they are going to start the month one in three under Helton. What happens? What happens if you guys start one and three under Oh, Helton? man, you know, dude, Lynn Swan just, uh, I, hopefully he doesn't mess around and just fires him. How do you, but how do you, I mean, it's Lynn, and this is part of the problem, right? Is that Lynn Swan is now, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to, I know we got a ton of USC listeners, I'm not trying to rag. It's just one of those things where I, I, I don't know what USC is right now. now. I don't know what they are. That's the thing. So Lynn Swan's going to have to define it for him moving forward, but whatever he defines it for him as, it cannot be chasing Carol's anus. And what's weird is yeah, it's it's not a recruiting problem, it's not a personnel problem. Y'all have the roster, you got the players, you got the you got the visibility, you got the I mean y'all are USC. I don't know. This is just one this seems like the turning point. I know it seemed like last year because you got a chance to hire, but to go in on Lynn Swan and, and Helton now, Clay Helton. It's one of those things where now, and it, almost like this next two, three weeks, because I know y'all got Utah, and then you got, uh, I know, Arizona State, and then it gets weak for a little bit. I forget who y'all got. But this could be this could be the period where y'all help redefine what the hell's going on. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people are hoping for. What a lot of people are hoping is the aim. Because right now, uh, USC spending way too much time chasing the past, and and, and, and I, I I knew that if the season started with an ass kicking at Alabama, that it was just going to dovetail into, into exactly what it is. And I fully expect Utah to be tougher at home. They always are. Um, I fully expect them to get the win. And uh, I expect to be sitting here talking about a coach who probably didn't deserve a job that he got. And, and, um, no, I mean, seriously, go and add up the number of points that opposing teams have scored since Clay Helton was officially named the head coach. Sure. He's only had, let me see, Alabama kicked his ass. Uh, Utah State and Stanford. Yeah, so Uh, he's... 27. 27 to what? What was it? 27 to 10? Yeah. Because y'all got a touchdown, yeah. 
Yeah, 27 to 10. So that was double figures. So he has a win over Utah State. Yeah. Um, uh, an ass kicking by Alabama, an ass kicking by Stanford, a loss to Wisconsin in 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 the Holiday Bowl, uh, another sound beating by Stanford, and potentially an ass kicking at Utah. So he would be like one yeah. and what seven since being hired. Let me count them out. Stanford. Here's the real problem is I just pulled up the schedule. The problem is that you guys are so backloaded on the schedule. So the last five games to end the season, you got Cal, Oregon, Washington, obviously one of the best teams, maybe the best team in the conference, UCLA, Notre Dame. Those five games are the big power games. You obviously had Alabama, Stanford in the first three. You got this soft section in the middle, Utah, Arizona State, Colorado, Arizona. If y'all don't get it done these next four, man, uh, I don't know, dude. I don't know. Dude, I, I, I tipped Cal as I tipped Cal to beat USC for the first time. And that would I think be I think 15, 16 Rush. years, and I'm sticking to my prediction. Cal is going to beat USC. They're, like every single one of these head coaches that have been hired by Pat Hayden have broken some seven and nine bullshit record. So <laughs> I think that Clay Helton is due to lose something, and 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 I think that he's gotta he's gotta take the Cal streak with him. And that'll be what likely gets him fired. See, this is the Josh that I want. I want that. I want that fired up, that passionate Josh. Yeah, you, yeah. You got USC. You, I can tell you, feeling it. You know it. You know where it's going. That's what we need for Josh for the Rams. And I get it. It's year one for you for the Rams. It's We're year gonna... one, but but by midway through year one, hey, I'm gonna... going. Yeah, I, I am going I, to be there. <laughs> if nothing else, because I'm gonna have to keep getting up on Sunday morning and driving to bars to watch a game for a team that's less than two hours away from me. Like, come on, networks. Why would you think I would... I'd want the Raiders? Yeah, here's what I tell you. Last year, the Rams started four and eight. Uh, right now, the Rams are one and one, and this is a good place to transition out of it. If the Rams go three and seven, their next ten games. I like I look forward to this podcast with you, Josh. I'm gonna have a lot of fun with it, man. You you will. You will. So let's wrap it up there, man. This is Josh Webb for Joe McAtee. We will be back next time here on Turf Show Radio. If you haven't noticed yet, it's preview review. We had a preview, uh, or we had a review. It sort of got lost. It did get Terrorist. lost. I lost it. Um, the terrorists got it. No, no, no. You didn't loot it. The terrorists got it. Okay. The terrorists got it. Yeah, they got it. They got it. They came to my house and looted it. Um, left everything else, though, and my husky. For that, I am grateful. Um, but we will be back at doing a system of preview, review, preview, review. And we've also got special podcasts with guests that we're going to be sneaking in here and there. And apparently, we need to catch up with one of our first guests because he has gone on and got himself a show. So we need to touch up with him. So I will uh, I will reach out to Mr. J.B. Long. We'd like to try and get him back on the podcast here toward the end of the month to diagnose his first month in charge of, uh, well, being the voice of the Rams. So 
For Joe, I'm Josh, and we will be back next time here on Church Show Radio, right here for your home for the Los Angeles Rams on SB Nation. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games i mean there's also some actual football discussion like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things or the ncaa saying really stupid things yeah there's lots of stupid things in this big dumb beautiful sport sometimes we talk about football games allegedly if you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken come find us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one the shutdown forecast. It's not Voltron.